Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. It's not early for me, but it may be early for you, and I have to debate whether I'm going to go and grab some coffee en route to a trip I don't want to make. So before I make that decision, let me go ahead and knock out today's update. There's not much to cover, which makes me smile. But let me start with just some simple news updates. I think these are, they may not even affect you, but they affect the larger crypto community because we're seeing it more and more. And so I want to get in front of it. Uh, first up on the list, SafeMoon. So SafeMoon has been in the process of doing some restructuring changes, and some of that involved people shifts. And so they've started uh, moving some people around, and, and they're working towards a V2, which, as everybody knows that's been listening, I can't stand migrations and V2s and all this, but I do understand that the current popular thing is this whole upgradable smart contracts and this new way to do the contracts to make them easier to inject changes in the process so i'm not i'm not going to critique them because of the, what they're doing although i'm still not a fan of migrations and i can't stand migrations i've never seen one go correctly outside of like i said the uh, safe moon earn hub looks like it potentially could do and so i'm kind of just watching with bated breath to see how it goes and if they are able to pull it off you know kudos to them as possibly the model for how to do it right. But I'll watch SafeMoon uh, V2 and see how that goes. And if they're able to make it a smooth, clean process for their holders. Now, I think they're going to be dealing with the same type of a challenge as so many others, which is just finding everybody that's bought into the token. Because as I keep saying, so many people, especially in the United States, they're not on Telegram. They don't care about Telegram. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't do Telegram simply that all their information should not be on Telegram only or exclusively that is important to the investors. So SafeMoon arguably has done a great job of communicating out through other social media platforms the same message so that they can try to get as much spread as possible for people who are bought into the token because obviously you can't email people because the whole thing is not quite anonymous, but you don't have email addresses for people. You don't register to buy crypto. So it's harder to find those people. I wish, I think this would be a good thing to think about, but I wish there was a way that these tokens could get in concert with the different exchanges that they're on because SafeMoon's on basically every exchange you can think of and have the exchanges also do their own communication. They'll do this if it's a total migration type deal, like, hey, this token's going to be migrating and we're going to shut it down. But with something like this that, hey, there's a change in the uh, the, the team, those kind of communications, I don't think the exchanges are, maybe maybe they don't care, but I think there should be a way to communicate that via the exchanges because with the exchanges, of course, they're going to have the vast majority of the non-social media folks. They will have email addresses for each and every one of them because you have to in order to do your logins. So I think that's a good conduit to get access to that other, you know, 70% of people out there that don't watch social media for all this stuff. Because here's the truth, even if you went to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it doesn't matter that there are, there are people who don't follow those sources. I know that's hard for people to grasp, but it's true. There are people that simply do not follow those sources. They follow the regular news, you know, whether it's the Clinton News Network or whatever, to get their information. Well, most of these types of crypto transformations are not being communicated through the media outlets because we can't really trust mainstream media. So 
I don't know the easy answer outside of just saturation, which again, Safe Moon has done a stellar job, no pun intended, of trying to do that. But there's certainly more that could be done via the exchanges to communicate changes like this because they affect the investors when you're changing people around and you know the see whether it's a C level or it's a director, it doesn't matter. We want to make sure that the investors are always aware of those changes. So they're doing the best they can. I'm not criticizing what they've done. I'm sharing simple feedback of there's got to be a better way to communicate and promote these types of significant changes to the investor pool other than what we have been doing and hopefully use the exchanges to kind of support that effort at some point. So the second part of my update is when, when tokens come and they have the appearance of being something solid, right? You don't necessarily think that it's going to be a scam or a rug pull. And, and really the only thing you can hang your hat on is the passage of time. That means that your investment and your risk, however much risk you're man, willing to take on, has to be managed according to what we see in the tokenomics and the mechanics and the everything that's going on with this project. And this is a process. It's not something that happens quick. It's not something that's easy. It takes time to learn this stuff and what to look for in it. And frankly, just with me and the investigations I do, it might as well be a full-time job, just the crypto side of it. I'm not even talking podcast. I'm not talking my business. I'm not talking anything else. I'm talking just the cryptocurrency space and understanding what I need to know in order to make smart decisions about my portfolio. Just the other day, I, I finally got my portfolio somewhat settled into a groove, but I'm still stuck with two projects that they're decent projects, but they're on the Ethereum side. And because of factors outside of my control, they're the highest in terms of the value of my portfolio, but they're also the hardest to generate any profit because of Ethereum gas fees. I just did a quote on one and they want like 200 something dollars. I'm not giving them 200 something dollars. So in order for me to get access to really any profit, I would need to send it to the exchange, which I could do theoretically. However, to do that, they want a minimum of $80. Now, of course, it's daytime. I'm not doing a crack at dawn in the evening. I don't want to have to wake up you know, at 1 a.m. just to do a simple trade, just to be able to get access to money that I'm, a gain that I'm entitled to. And it got me thinking, you know, there's, there really should be better ways to do these things. But as I looked at all the different tokens that were out there when I was thinking about what to cover, the the risk of, you know, again, I'm kind of all in on the Binance chain, except for these ones that are the vast majority of my portfolio. I'm kind of all in on the Binance chain for net new. The risk, of course, is that the Binance chain does have a lot of scams. The Ethereum does too, but it's less prominent because of the gas fees and the, the cost to buy in and the cost to create tokens and the cost of liquidity. But because of the whole, you know, hubbaloo with the Binance side, it got me thinking about different solutions to try to help vet some of these projects to help investors make an informed decision as to whether or not to buy into given projects. And I talked about this in a previous episode that, you know, doxing has become the word, you know, the buzzword across all social media. And we should, we should only deal with, like there was one guy said, we should only deal with dox projects. Do, do, do. Here's the truth. You can dox all you care to. It doesn't negate that one day a developer just gets disgruntled and does whatever they're going to do. Sure, you can track them down, but then the money might be long gone by then, and then what are you going to do? Like, you can send them to court, but the court can't force them to pay. The court will simply put an order out that they should pay. There's no requirement that they pay, and then they can file bankruptcy and kind of walk away. 
we saw this with some of the big orgs. It's actually a key strategy with the bankruptcy on Chapter 11. If you have debt that you've bought, so you buy out a company that's kind of on the failing end and then you absorb all this debt, and now the, the, uh, the creditors are kind of coming to collect, you then file bankruptcy and basically all, that, all that's gone. You're not going to get any payment out of it. Most of Bernie Madoff's victims didn't get all their money back and even ones that, that you know, there were some that got nothing. So you have to understand that just because you send, hey, I'll, you have your day in court or whatever, you're not going to guarantee getting your money back. Really, if that money's gone, it's gone. Sometimes the government can intervene if the tokens are still in token form, at least, and then like they're doing right now with the, I think it was BitConnect, and they were able to acquire some of the tokens to um, compensate some of the people that have been affected. Of course, the government has every right to say, okay, IRS, go ahead and take your slice out of this, and then we'll send you the delta. Well, technically, that means you didn't get all your money back, right? Because you might have held that in token form and not cashed it out, but the government made that decision for you. Well, because we know that this is a risk, we know that it's a risk that people could come along and rip us off for whatever we invest. I've always said doxing is only one part of the game. There's more to it than that. You can dox all you care to. It doesn't do anything about ill intent. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything about the fundamentals of the token, the code, nothing. So there's a variety of different things that all have to work perfectly. And even then, sometimes something could be silly, stupid, and broken. But because of the others, they help mitigate that loss. I'll cover this in more depth on a different separate episode because I think it's compelling to think about. All I'm saying here is we have to stop this narrative that so-called doxing is going to solve all the problems with scam tokens. It's not. It's only one factor of many different factors in play with cryptocurrency community. And unless you have the perfect synergy at the right time of all these different factors, you still are at risk. And even then, you could have one that has nothing go right for it, but it ends up succeeding. Let's be honest. Let's be fair and honest here. Doge had everything wrong when Doge first launched and Doge was abandoned at a point. It was abandoned at a point. It had everything wrong. It had basically an abandoned contract. It had no developers against it. It had no marketing strategy against it. Nobody owned it. And even now, nobody really owns it. It's a community token. But because you have no developers, because you have no marketing, you don't really have a team. So you don't have a throat to choke when things don't go right. And then you don't have outreaches to the different you know, point of sale terminals and different utility parts. So Doge is still to this day perceived as a S coin. I'm trying not to swear because of the fact it has no utility because it doesn't really do anything. However, Doge is accepted in a lot of places, a lot more than any other token outside of Bitcoin. Doge is on every exchange. I would say literally at this point, every exchange. Doge is ubiquitous. Doge is a household name, I would argue. So it was able to succeed in spite of all of these red flags that were inherent to the incept of the token. Remember, the guy started the thing as a joke. He started it as a joke because of what he was seeing with cryptocurrency. And it's like, why is the price just randomly going to whatever? Why is it that people are buying something that really has no value? Okay, well, I'll just spin up a token in a spare time and didn't expect it was going to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, the thing starts skyrocketing when, you know, community took over and they saw that okay let's let's make this succeed it's a very organic feel to it well when you have tokens like that that even they're even when the fundamentals suck and it this it by all intents should fail 
and it still managed to succeed. I have a saying that I've communicated on Reddit multiple times, and our cryptocurrency just ignores me. If a token's going to succeed, it's going to succeed regardless of what you or I say about it. Even if the fundamentals are crap, even if there's no logical reason it should, even if there's no fundamentals behind it. So you can look all you care to, and you ultimately have to make your own decision about this, but you can look all you care to uh, into the different core fundamentals of a token, whether it has a utility, what's the dev like, and so-called doxing, and all these things. What it boils down to, folks, is you have to figure out what kind of investor you're going to be. If you were to go into your 401k, chances are they've asked you at some point, what kind of investor are you? Are you a conservative investor? Are you on the younger spectrum? Are you aggressive? Are you going for high profit? Are you going for long-term savings? Because they're trying to align your balance of holdings according to that strategy. You have to figure out what your strategy is. Once you figure out what your strategy is, then you can point at whichever token closely aligns. It's not going to perfect, but closely aligns with that strategy. If you're in the group that just says, I just want to make money, do, 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 that's fine. But arguably, you can't then complain when you get scammed because you just jumped into Squid Game or Suzuki. That's my point. All of this got me thinking, what if there was a token, a project that was token-backed in crypto that could be that face, that could screen, and that could vet, and that could actually give some certification that we can trust to say, we, from what we can tell, and there's multiple factors that I just described, and we've gone through each and every one of those, from what we can tell, this is a decent project. They still can't give you, you know, whether rogue developer happens, but they can at least tell you that we we fully doxed them, the code's clean, the project's been around, it's a registered business in multiple countries, and so on. When you have more and more and more and more of these, it increases the credibility and decreases the likelihood that something catastrophic could happen, especially when you get to a world where it takes multiple people signing off on withdrawals, as an example, where you have liquidity locked 100% in multiple places, for example, where the liquidity pool is self-replenishing through no, no action of the developers, for example. When you have certain certain number of stacked positive mechanics, it increases the stability and, and credibility of the token and that's what I want to talk about today when I cover my underdog token that's on the rise. That is Dessert Finance. And I wanted to give you that background. It was important so that you could understand already what does Dessert Finance try to solve. It is exactly what I just described. Dessert Finance is an attempt. And initially, they were there was a lot of skeptical skepticism about it. But Dessert Finance is an attempt on the Binance chain today to provide that independent audit source. And when I say audit, I'm not talking like a CERTIC audit situation. I'm talking about a company that has, because remember the auditors, when you do a CERTIC audit, they're not doing the full scope of developer team. And, you know, they'll look in the code, but they're not looking for the people aspect of a thing. So what was, what is it that has a company that is going to basically stamp and put their name on it and say, we believe in this company. It's very simple if you think about uh, trust, trustee, uh, BBB, and other orgs that try to say, hey, we've done some screening, and from our perception, you can trust working with these companies. And all these different organizations you know of on the physical side, that's what Desert Finance is trying to do on the crypto side for the Binance Smart Chain. 
So when you look at their structure, you can buy in, basically you can invest in their token. And then as part of that investment, it's used to support their, their audits. They make them public so you can go and you can look at the link. And some tokens that are smart will actually go in and they'll see the document on the dessert site and they'll grab it and they'll put it on their site so that anybody who's looking new for the token will immediately see, okay, we got an audit done and it's clean and we can trust it. Now, when you look at their audit document as a former auditor myself, it is truly an audit document. They make the disclaimers where they tell you, hey, look, we have, what we do is we go and we do all the research that you can do yourself. You could, but we do it in a way that is easy to consume and is centrally managed so that it's coming from a trusted source. We can't promise that it's not going to be a rug pull. We can't promise that it's, that it's not going to be a team issue or some sort of scam. We don't promise this. We're just saying that we see from what we can tell, it's a reasonably trustworthy project, but it could at some point have a thing. That means you need to do your own due diligence. So you're saying to yourself, well, if they're doing that and they're not willing to assert, to assert that it's not, then why should I bother? It's because nobody can assert that they're not. I, I say it again. Nobody can tell you that something is not a scam. It's not possible because you can't, uh, you can't account for the human aspect of what we're dealing with here. When you have a development team, you could very well have a rogue developer who just gets pissed off one day and decides to wreak havoc. That's the nature. That's a normal business today. Today, you could have a Facebook developer who just gets pissed off at what Zuckerberg just said about Donald Trump and then goes in there and deletes a database or deletes lines of code. It's a risk. And so what they normally will do in those situations is have multiple points of approval. So where one person cannot cause that kind of harm, you can look for this, but ultimately you can't know that it truly is a thing. There's no way to really know because the smart contract is public, right? So you can't affect the smart contract, but as we move towards these upgradable contracts and the ones that allow you to change the game, that's what I'm saying. You're right back to square one where somebody could theoretically go in and tweak something that, for example, blocks everybody from selling. Well, maybe they're doing it because there's a problem. If they don't communicate to you, you might freak out and think that it's a, it's a honeypot or a rug pull when really they just suck at communication. This is the risk of crypto and you have to understand it. So what Dessert's doing is they're putting it up front saying, we, we screened it best we could. We put our stamp on the fact that the project looks clean. However, we can't promise that something will happen. We can't promise that something's not going to go south later. Just take the fact that they even reached, reached out to us to do an audit as confidence on face that they want to be seen as credible because that's true. If you're willing to be audited, if you say we want that smoke, you should reasonably trust that team. It doesn't really mean that they won't pull later because things happen, but at least once you see it, then you can tell and make your own decision from the information. So use it as a source of information, not as a definitive. But then the, in the, pro, in the uh, report, they'll straight up tell you if something is a flag. They'll see recommendations of why we should potentially change things. We should see things like how the website's registers, any scripting errors. This got a lot of criticism from people. Well, geez, I could do that. Yes, you could. You could do your own audit, frankly. That's not the point. The point is another organization has done it for you and they put it, distilled it into a form that's easier to consume rather than you having to spend, in some cases, hours doing this work. It's just quick and dirty so then you can make your decision whether or not to even do business. And the truth is, 
if you have sites where there's excessive spelling errors, grammatical errors, um, my personal favorite is, you know, it's not responsive design. Um, one thing I don't like about, I believe it's, I believe it's Earnhub site. No, it's UFO Gaming. UFO Gaming. Their site is dog slow at times, and then eventually it'll speed up. But at certain points, it's slow. Velis site is dog slow all the time. Okay, that's not responsive design because I'm on a computer, and I'm on a decently high-end computer, and it's still dog slow to scroll the page. That means you have not taken into account responsive design. Does that affect you in terms of a rug pull? Who knows? Because you don't know why that you would assume that there's a level of competency, right? You don't know why something like that would be allowed to slip through. And if they don't have the competency to just develop a basic website, maybe they don't have the competency to develop a good project. Think about those. So then they go down into the more nitty gritty stuff, the thing we really want to care about. We're looking for malware on the site. That's a common spam tactic. Could be a clean site all the way around, but then all of a sudden, there's malware baked into the site, and then it injects itself into your computer. And so it might be a solid project, but there's malware, especially if they use ads, which many of them don't, but that's a risk where it's not the project that's tainted. It's just their approach to ads. All the way to the contract, you look at the contract, and you're trying to figure out there's certain things that you can build into the contract that make them, by design, uh, scams. And so they look for those to see. Is there anything in the code that we can see that stands out that might be an issue that might steal your identity? Or, um, you know, like some of the tokens will send you, airdrop you garbage tokens and they'll send you, steal your identity. That's what they're looking for there. As well as other types of common honeypot techniques. They're looking for social media um, presence because if you're able to see social media, then it adds a little bit of credibility. I actually don't agree with that, but it's the common belief. So I'll go with it, but I don't agree with it. I don't think it means anything. Because you can make up whatever you want on social media, unless you're on something like um, Instagram, for example. Uh, excuse me, uh, LinkedIn, not Instagram. LinkedIn, because with LinkedIn, at least, it requires you to have some real name, some real name to it. Um, but most people just have, like, Twitter. They'll do Telegram, which I can't stand. Uh, they may do a Facebook, but they don't care about it. Uh, they cover the token holders. This is very important. You need to understand how many of the tokens are held by the top X of people. Um, when you do that, the problem is that that those whales could basically tank the token at some point. You don't want that to happen. So you look and see oh, how many are holding this token. And if it's a good spread and good distribution, that's a good thing. The one thing that drives me nuts on many tokens is they're, they want to just send it to the dead wallet, which I can't stand that they do that because although it is truly a dead wallet and although it's considered burned it's still counted in the total inventory i like to see a burn contract as part of the address which is not um present in many tokens but i wish we could and it just isn't what it is um location so location is a huge thing if you can't i should be able to tell where you're coming from your development team right if you're coming from russia china uh japan australia u.s whatever I should be able to def clearly define where each individual person is coming from. I don't need their address specifically, but I should be able to tell where they are, um, whether the team is doxxed or not, and who they are and their identities. The challenge with this one, as I said, is that sometimes you'll stay anonymous, especially in the early stages of a project, because you're trying to keep people safe. Many countries, and this is hard for people in the United States to understand, but many countries actually d don't want you 
being involved in cryptocurrency, and so they'll stay anonymous because of this, which is why, at least for Americans, it is preferred to lean towards those projects that are American-based companies with American-based teams, or at least teams that are based in countries that are allies of the U.S., because that means that we can identify who they are safely without putting them at harm's, in harm's way. I think a lot of people get it so fixated on the whole doxing, they don't understand that so many other countries aren't like the United States, aren't like Canada, aren't like the UK, aren't even like Australia, and Australia's had some issues recently, that some of those countries really don't want their people getting involved in something like crypto. In fact, I think some countries even actually ban cryptocurrency. So if they were to identify themselves like you might want them to, they're putting themselves at physical risk. And so we don't want that to happen because then crypto, the whole industry starts to crash. Just understand there are legitimate reasons why sometimes they may not identify themselves, but you need to account for this in your decision for when you decide to buy into a project that maybe you want to lean towards projects that have teams that are centered around safer countries that are more open to their people being involved in projects like this. Later, those people that are in those countries, when the token gets to a level of success, maybe they can leave those countries to more safe countries and then expose themselves and then you take another look at it. Yes, you might miss out on a, a couple thousand dollars, but think of the alternative. Um, they call out risk signs. I love the risk signs. I don't agree with one of their risk signs, which is the use case. I called it again. It doesn't, just because it doesn't have a utility doesn't mean that it won't succeed. Now, it, Doge being the perfect example, it's the poster child that it doesn't do anything. That token doesn't do anything, and they're proud of the fact it doesn't need to do anything. So just because it doesn't have a use case doesn't mean that it's not a strong potential project. It just simply means from your decision tree, you need to think about why are you buying into it. If you're buying into it to generate profit, by now it's pretty much too late. If you're buying into it as a long-term, just basically put some money somewhere and just kind of ignore it, yeah, it's probably fine, but there are other projects as well. It's not a risk. It's just something you need to consider. So I don't, I don't want to call that as a risk per se. I love their signs of confidence. This is, this is me on paper. I love it. Number one, receptive to criticism. Yes, you want the smoke. A project that wants the smoke, that's a good project. It's my reason I have so much criticism for Satama. It's the reason I have so much criticism for SHIB. It's the reason I have so much criticism for many other projects that simply do not accept criticism. They will completely either ignore you, blacklist you, ban you, or whatever the heck it is because they don't want to hear from you. And then when things go south, then they're not willing to come back and say, you know what, we should have listened to you. We're listening to you now. Tell us what we need to do to be successful here and avoid these mistakes. They're not willing to do that. And there are so many newer projects that are willing to do that, some very exciting ones. Desert Finance is one of them, I would argue, where they're willing to take the smoke. Um, things like the liquidity pool is good. Um, no single wallet holds enough to tank the token. Good tokenomics that are obvious and easy to understand. Um, the social media platforms are active. Yeah, but I again, I don't put too much credence into it, but I understand why they do. Just the fact they called it out is awesome. A roadmap, I've called that out before in my rubric for a white paper. And then they wrap it up just by basically saying, once again, we can't tell you you're not going to get scammed. We're just saying, we're just providing information. It's up to you what you want to do about it. So Dessert Finance, the way that they've built this, and they've evolved it over time. And the way that they built this, I thought was very well done. 
I think that they have a strong project. So if you're considering buying into something that is has fundamentals, again, they have their own token. So you can invest in dessert finance to support things like this that are trying to add more transparency where it's otherwise lacking. And hopefully my goal, my mental goal would be to have more of these tokens. First of all, I want to see on the Ethereum side. Second, more of these tokens actually listening to what's in the document and taking the advice and making changes because especially when you talk about, you know, taking criticism, there are so many tokens that simply don't, they just don't. And that's a problem because when they don't, you get fiascos like the Satama Vegas event and then it takes a long time to recover. Those who just heard that sentence I just said, well, we're only back up. Deep, deep, deep. Sure. The problem is people suffered for a month ish. And when you had, look at the graph, right? Zoom out to a month and there's been a, a lot of lost holders. Sure, you get reflections, but there's a lot of lost holders. There's a lot of harmed reputation. And now there's this question with Suzuki and everything else. All of these are avoidable, preventable things. And I don't think we should be ignoring them. I think we should say, look, maybe it's time that you actually be open when people are trying to warn you about these flags so that we can all benefit on the project instead of just following a cult. So I, I believe dessert finance's strategy is the right answer. And I just, I want projects to actually listen to what they're saying, but I'm calling out the information and I implore you to go look at it because you'll see where I've been talking about a lot of these fundamentals. They've been talking about it. Everybody knows it, but so many are stuck in the cult mentality. They're not understanding that these are fundamental principles in anything finance. And you should be able to do these things and you should want that smoke. You should want to be challenged. You should want to be criticized. You should want your audit to call out problems as long as you're willing to actively fix them. And then you, as an investor, have the opportunity to invest in one or more of these similar types of project tokens that are truly fundamental. And they're also trying to help the industry because guess what? If these start getting more adoption, you stand to make more profit because those investments are going to grow. And that was really the key behind the cryptocurrency community in the first place is to have the ones that are adding value to the whole process as opposed to sending us back 50 steps. So that goes with Dessert Finance. It's token, Binance, Smart Chain. Take a look at it. Take a look at the, what they're doing because I think they're a solid project. I think they're worth your eyes and I want to see more of it. I want to see more like it. I want to see more adoption of it and more companies buying in and taking that advice and actually implementing changes to get rid of the cult mentality that currently persists across the industry. I'll wrap up with a quick overview of an exchange. My list is so whittled down. I'm ecstatic. I only got three left, two after today. The next one I'll cover Mex C that's Mex C. I actually created an account on MexC so that I could take a look through it because it had a very nice appealing interface and it truly does. It's a very visually friendly interface compared to many of the other ones. Uh, it has a lot of the low cap coins available to it. It has market order capability. I know it sounds strange me calling that I was positive, but with Gate.io I had to. Um, and the graphs are very easy to follow. Um, the colors are not burning your eyes, which I, I just, there, there's something about their, interface that's more appealing compared to many of the other ones. I do like that. Uh, their setup is very simple. You just do email and they'll give you an email code and then you log in. Then they'll nag you, but they won't hard require you up front to do the KYC or even the TOTP. I do recommend you do it, 
But as I said, I don't like being forced to do those things. I like being educated as a customer and let the customer make their own choice. I'm sure that when you go to withdraw any assets, then yes, you would need to uh, go to the KYC process because that's by law. Uh, they do offer an app, but they are not mobile first. There's a web interface. I call that out as something that they should do. Everybody should do. It is what it is. And then the one thing that I'll call two things, actually, two main things that stand out with them versus others. Uh, number one is what they call the push. Push basically allows peer-to-peer, -peer, direct peer-to-peer. -peer. So this is kind of like an OTC-ish transaction. And if you don't know OTC, OTC is you're getting rid of the middleman in terms of the exchange. It's just somebody says, hey, I got five Ethereum available. I'm charging this for it. Whoever wants to get it spot with a credit card, come at me. That's, that's push. You're saying, well, why wouldn't I just buy from the exchange? You could, but sometimes the exchange won't take like prepaid cards, for example. I, I get told the story a little while ago, um, like the pay, PayPal prepaid MasterCard, the NetSpend card, uh, Serve, Visa, uh, and of course, nobody takes American Express. So then these prepaid cards, you can't use them because all the exchanges block it. Green Dot's taken because Green Dot's actually a bank. It's not really a prepaid card once you register it. But with a push transaction, those rules are not in place. So you might have somebody who takes whatever you want because they're using PayPal Merchant uh, or uh, Stripe or Square. And so they can take whatever you want. So it gets rid of that that block if you have those because we're coming up on Christmas you're going to get those prepaid cards it's going to happen and so I like to see that that options offered with MEXC uh, as well the second option is called Launchpad uh, Launchpad I call it out um, because here's when you have these exchanges that that do a good job of communicating to people that something new is coming right you have these new projects new exciting things coming on board it puts it in one place so you can be aware one question somebody asked was how do you find all these newish projects to buy into early on places like let, let launchpad are good for this now the downside of launchpad is there's a number of countries that they don't they basically won't let you buy directly from those so when there's a sale on board or there's an airdrop as part of a purchase or something there's a vast array of countries that they will not let you do Frankly, they have so many countries on the list of what they won't allow. I don't even know why they bother even offering the tool because the only countries I don't see, other than the smaller ones, but like the only countries I don't see uh, on the list would be the United, basically all of the United Kingdom. Looks like they can. For whatever reason, both Koreas can. I mean, that's surprising to me. But yet, you know, no United States, uh, no Iran, no Iraq, no Yemen. No Syria, no Hong Kong, no China, no Africa, um, no Zimbabwe, no Cuba, no Congo. No, oh, there's North Korea. Okay, no North Korea. But South Korea, sure. I, I don't know what that's all about because at the end of the day, it's just an exchange transaction. And they'll let you do the other exchange. They'll let you do the market exchange all you care to, but just not this one. So I don't know if that's some law that they're reacting to. I don't know, but I've never seen that. I like that they offer the tool. I just think they should fix the what they've called out as far as the countries that they won't allow to do it because I think it's a great tool. So in the meanwhile, you can use it at least for awareness purposes as a, hey, these are coming, and then buy it from somewhere else that lets you buy in early because they'll probably have some other exchange that they're going live with. It's just that when a new token goes onto an exchange, 
usually there's these incentives that come along with like there's a an airdrop that's part of the purchase or something else some sort of sweepstakes and you wouldn't be able to buy in to contribute for that for mexc and that's why i wish that they would open that up to more countries because i think it would help their adoption because mexi is not a large exchange by any means and I think that would help their growth that they would open that up a little bit because I don't see that there's any specific law that stops you from trading a token on one side, but then you can trade it on the markets. That seems strange to me. So that's my breakout for today. Hopefully that's been information and helpful for you. And again, I do implore you to check out Dessert Finance, even if just to be familiar with what they're doing, even if you don't have pl plans to buy into it, but at least be aware of what they're doing and be aware of the problem they're trying to solve because it is a problem. It's a growing problem actually and they're not the only one but i'm calling them out today because i am spotlighting a different token each time i do a today episode or until i get tired of doing it but hopefully all the information i gave was of value and the contrast between where we're at and what we're doing now and then of course mech c stay tuned i may do an out of cycle update today on a couple of things that transpired recently in the crypto community primarily around bitcoin i might i'm thinking about it uh, and I definitely will consider doing an outside of, uh, out of cycle update rather for uh, another token that I covered before that I want to dig a little bit deeper into. There you go.